Good morning, everyone. We've got just a few announcements for us this morning. The first one is we have uh, is about our fall holiday calendar. So we just started putting these out last week. Little sheets of just what's going on event-wise for the rest of the year. I believe they're back on the cart. They may be even be on the table up here uh, in the front little area. Uh, so pick those up uh, just to see what's going on the rest of the year. And then we have, um, I think our announcement's on giving. Something that we like to remind you guys of uh, frequently. You know, we have so many ways to give. Uh, you can do online. We have, you know, the little boxes in the back. Uh, and again, just a reminder, uh, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, we, we say this a lot. Um, you know, it's very important. You know, it's something that we, we get to do, not just, um, you know, practically, you know, but it's very important uh, to be a part of what, you know, God is doing here at 1290 Grand and the things he's doing in Ojai and even outside the country with some of our ministries. So we just encourage you guys uh, with that. And then our last announcement is we are now having uh, monthly bulletins, and these are going to be printed uh, and distributed weekly. And they're going to be back on the table in the back where the kind of the sermon notes were, which we don't have any today. You can thank Bill for that. So this will just have updates. It's very similar to the one on the website, if you've seen that. Um, so very similar. If you guys want it, it's back there, and uh, it'll be updated monthly. So we haven't done this yet this morning, so we might as well start now. God is good. And all the time. Amen. So we say that all the time around here, don't we? And don't you just love that saying? I mean, God is good all the time, isn't he? And so in, in, in this story that I'd like to tell today is really about the goodness of God. Because you see, we can say it, we can believe it, and we can experience it. Can't we? So have you experienced the goodness of God? Because you see, there's a transition that we have to make when we talk about how good God is. How good really is He? And I'm hoping that this morning that it's not just a cliche saying... Because we do like to say that around here, don't we? But that really, we believe and we're open to experiencing really the goodness of God. So I want to share just a little bit about a story from just this past summer. It's really not going to be a preaching message this morning. It's going to be really, it's going to be it's going to be a message of, of God. It's about God. Because you see, it's all about Him, isn't it? And of course, it has to do with backpacking. Because you know that I love a good backpacking trip. <laughs> At least some of you do. And so my backpacking experience started really back in, in, well, actually in high school. So in high school, I used to go to the mountains back here uh, and go on an overnight trip or a couple of, couple of nights at a time. Um, and then in 2007, I had a friend of mine say, uh, why don't we go uh, backpack on the John Muir Trail, which is up in the Sierra. So I, I, I did that. That was a 200-mile trip, a little over 200 miles. And it was great, uh, except I didn't know anything really about long-distance backpacking at that time. And so I had almost a 60-pound pack. And when you're, when you're carrying a 60-pound pack and you're an old guy, that doesn't work out very well. Um, but after that 200-mile backpacking trip, uh, this, this same guy, Joel Griffin, and, uh, and my other buddy, uh, Dwayne McCulloch, uh, who has a trail name uh, by the name of Polar Bear, 
because everybody has a trail name, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Uh, anyway, Polar Bear and, and Joel Griffin and I, we went on this, the, this next backpacking trip on the Colorado Trail in 2009, two years after the JMT. Um, and uh, that's a 500-mile trip. And that was my first real long-distance backpacking trip. And I just thoroughly enjoyed that 500-mile backpacking trip. And I was really thoroughly enjoying being done with it because it was really a long ways. Uh, but after that, I really got into backpacking. And it's really not backpacking because what I like to think about it is I like to think about what I do out in the mountains because I've now been doing this for a number of years. Is I like to think about it as hiking. It's really a hike because I really enjoy the hiking. And the camping part and the fact that you've got to carry everything on your back is just, it's, a, it's kind of a sidebar to what really is going on. I just love the mountains and I love the hiking. So I've done a lot of hiking. I've done the Tahoe Rim Trail a couple times, 187-mile trail, and I've done it once, and it's a round trail that goes around the lake, and so once wasn't enough because I'm a fanatic and kind of a weirdo. And so I did it once, and then I turned around and went around the other way, and then I did it around the other way again uh, because it seemed like 500 miles is kind of like my thing. A couple years ago, I did the section hike. I tried to do a 1,500-mile hike on the Pacific Crest Trail, but I ended up coming home on crutches. The outcome of that wasn't all that great. It's hard to hike that far. And the older I get, the harder it gets. So this year, I decided that I was going to do an out and back on the Colorado Trail again, because if 500 miles is good, 1,000 is better, right? Ernie knows. So... There's a lot of planning that goes into a hike like this. And so when you, when you, when you start planning, you're thinking a lot about weight. And so uh, I'm a numbers guy, uh, and so I created a spreadsheet because what matters is, is ounces and grams. And so what I learned from my first trip, which was, which was a 211-mile trip on the John Muir Trail, I learned that I had way too heavy a pack. I was carrying a lot of weight, and I didn't want to do that anymore. So over the years, I've learned to go light or ultralight, and I have a spreadsheet because that's what I do, um, because I'm an analytic. And so what happens is I analyze everything, and my wife says, you would spend $100 to save an ounce, wouldn't you? And unfortunately, she's right. So my base weight went from, I had a 60-pound pack in 2007 on the John Muir Trail to this year when I was hiking the Colorado Trail, my base weight was 12.06 pounds, and I still think that's a little heavy. Because you see, weight matters, and planning matters, because you just don't go out in the mountains and start hiking, because you have to organize how much weight you're going to carry, how far are you going to hike every day, and usually I hike 20 to 25 miles a day when I'm out hiking on these trails. And, uh, and then you, you have to get food, and so you have to have resupply. So on this particular trip, I packaged up all my resupplies in boxes, and my wife sent them to me, because you can send them to little post offices along the trail in the Colorado Rockies, and I would hike for four or five days and have to hike off of the trail into a little mountain town where there's a post office so I could pick up my food resupply. Then you've got to plan on how am I, gonna, how am I even going to get there, how am I, I going to get to Colorado to start hiking on the, 
on the, uh, on the Colorado Trail. So there's a lot of transportation logistics, and there's food logistics, and there's thinking about how long am I going to hike each day because the last thing you want to do is run out of food because it's really hard to walk for 20 miles a day for two or three days without eating. It's hard to do anything without eating for two or three days, quite frankly. So I had all this planned out. And I've been wanting to do a thousand-mile hike since my very first hike. And I've never been able to accomplish that yet. So this was the year. So on the last day of June, I took off this summer, and I drove to Colorado, and I parked my truck uh, at an RV parking spot. It was going to be there for a couple of months because I'm going to get on the trail, and I am going to take off from Denver, and I'm going to hike through the Colorado Rockies to Durango, Colorado. And when I get there, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to go right back from the way I came because my truck is still in Denver, after all, so i got to get back there, right? So a 1,000-mile backpacking trip, which seems very reasonable to me, is on the docket, and that's what I'm going to do. And I think about things like Proverbs 27.1, because I'm always thinking about these kinds of things. And Proverbs 27.1 says that we do not know what a day may bring forth. And I've got to tell you, that is especially true on the trail. It is especially true on the trail. So I'm ready to hit the trail, and uh, in fact, the next slide, I think, is a picture of the, of the trailhead. So in Denver, after I'd parked my truck, I had to walk 15 miles from where I parked my truck down to the trailhead. This is the trailhead starting in Waterton Canyon uh, on the Colorado Trail. That's the Denver section, which is about 500 miles away from Durango, which is my destination before I turn around and come back. So I'm ready to hit the trail, and I have an encounter. Before I even get started on the trail... I'm ready, as you can imagine, I'm like a little kid. I'm excited, I got my backpack, I got four or five days worth of food in there, I'm ready to go, and I hike down there to the, to the trailhead. I'm going to start the next morning, and I'm filling up with water because I want to be ready to go because I'm an early morning guy, so I'm up at like 4.30, 5 o'clock, I'm going to get on the trail, and I'm going to start hiking, right? And so I'm all ready for this. I'm going to camp at the trailhead because there's a big wide spot there right next to that sign you just saw, and I'm filling up with water, and this, this young fella comes up to me. And there's nobody around, and all of a sudden, poof, here's this guy. And he comes up to me, and he's a, he's a, he's a young guy. Um, when you're my age, everybody's young. But anyway, so, so he comes up to me, and this is what he says. He says, hey, man, do you have any acid? <laughs> acid, but, you know, like, like drugs. Well, I know what he's talking about, and... I'm like tongue-tied all of a sudden. I'm not sure exactly what to say, so the only thing I can think of saying is, no, buddy, I can't carry acid because I'm a lightweight backpacker, and that, that probably weighs something. I don't know what else to say. And he says, well, okay, and he walks off. That's the beginning of my trail. I did not even got started on the trail yet, and, and I have this encounter uh, and I'm thinking, this is just like weird. Well, it, get, it gets even weirder because then all of a sudden this guy, I find him sitting on a, on a picnic table at the trailhead because there's a couple of picnic tables there and I'm going to camp overnight before I get going on the trail, right? And, and he's sitting there and he's all by himself and he seems like a polite young man. And so I decided to walk up to him and just and engage in some conversation. And he's sitting at this picnic table reading. And I kid you not, I walk up to him and he's got a Bible, no, I kid you not. He's got a Bible, okay? 
And he's reading Ezekiel. And I said, dude, what are you reading? And he says, I have no idea. Somebody gave me this. Uh, and I have, and I, so I took the opportunity. I haven't even got on the trail yet. This is my first experience before I start the Colorado Trail. I'm, I'm thinking a thousand mile trail is what I'm all about here. And I meet this kid. He asks if I have any acid, which means I'm thinking, dude, this guy, he doesn't need acid. He needs Jesus. So I'm sitting here. He's got a Bible. What an opportunity. So I say, dude, you ought to open to the book of John. Because when I was a seeker, that was really impactful to me. I found out about God's love in the book of John, you know, so I don't know what else to do. So I say, just turn to the book of John. And he goes, huh? He had no idea. So I turn there, and I share Jesus with him, and I tell him, you know what, dude? You don't need acid. Really, you don't. You don't need any of that stuff. That's all fake. What you need is you need Jesus because he's going to fill that place that's missing. And he's like, okay. he's, He's into it. And I'm thinking, well, good, okay. Poof, then he's gone. I never see him again. I don't have the slightest idea what he does with the truth of the word of God that we all need Jesus, amen? And the only reason I can think of that he asked me for drugs is because I looked like this when he saw me. I just assumed that he probably assumed that if you look like that, that's probably what you do. But no, I'm a Jesus guy, I'm not an acid guy, so that's the way that worked. So anyway, I'm, I'm, off to, uh, I'm off to Durango. I start the next morning on the trail, I camp out, and, the, and the, the, there's a map of the trail that starts at Denver, and it goes to Durango, and so I have an app on my phone which has the map, and I have the distances and where the water sources are. I'm really organized about that kind of stuff, and so off I go. And my first stop is going to be Breckenridge, Colorado, which is about 100, 120 miles away. Um, and, uh, and I'm thinking about things, because this is what I think about on the trail. People ask me, why do you do this, Bill? You go by yourself, a solo hiker, doing 500 miles, 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles. Why do you do that? And I tell them, because I'm t- when I'm out in the mountains like that and I'm by myself, there are no distractions. You know, the phone doesn't go off. I don't get one text. I don't get one phone call. I don't get mail. I don't have, none of that stuff. There are no distractions. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but if you've had the experience where there's no distractions and you can just be in, in, in nature, in God's creation with him alone, it is spectacular. The trees even look different to me when I'm in that environment than they do when I'm looking at the trees in these mountains here. That's part of why I do it. Proverbs 4.25 comes to my mind. It says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. And I take that quite literally. So what lies before us? Well, for me on this trip, like all my other backpacking trips before, hiking trips before, is I'm looking forward to the destination. I'm a destination guy. I want to get to the destination. See, it's really beautiful out there. In fact, so much so that some of the young people actually from this church convinced me a couple of trips ago to do a blog. It turned into a vlog. So I, I, I took videos with my phone and I l- uploaded them to uh, after, after editing them. And it's a lot of work, but it was kind of fun. So maybe some of, I think some of you here were actually following along. And it, was, it was kind of fun, you know. I had no clue what I was doing vlogging. I felt like a young person. That's the only reason I was doing it. <laughs> Technology. And I sometimes don't get along. But anyway, so I was vlogging, and it's beautiful out there. And I think about things like when I'm out in the mountains, you see, so God is so 
big. God is so big, and he created everything. And I'm out in the middle of this creation of God's, and I'm just, it's, it's just like me and him. I would wish that on everybody. <laughs> Wherever you do that, if it's out in the woods, great. For me, it's just being out in the mountains. It's me, it's him, he's big, I feel small. It's like, wow, I just, I can't get enough of that. And it's beautiful out there. In fact, I got some pictures of how beautiful it is out there. Just pictures, you come around every corner, there's a trail, there's mountains. Um, I think, is there another slide? I about some, there's another couple of pictures. Yeah, look at that, rocks. I love rocks, I love rivers, I love streams, I love trees, I love all that stuff. It's just absolutely beautiful. And then you run across people on the trail. And there are people on the trail, and, 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 you, and you meet these people. So the first person that I met on the trail, his name was Gato. And so Gato is Spanish for cat, right? And I said, well, how did you get your trail name? Because everybody has a trail name. So distance hikers have trail names. You meet people, and you don't know their real name. I don't know if his name was Bob or Fred or Joe. I don't know, but his trail name is Gato, and that's what I know him by. So Gato is on the trail, a young guy, and he's doing the entire trail. And so I meet him. He's a really nice guy. And then I met this young couple. The first time that they've done a, th a through hike, a distance hike together uh, as a married couple. Uh, and uh, her name was Swimmer. And you can just imagine why her trail name was Swimmer, because she's a swimmer. And so, and her husband's name is, is Gearhead. Why? Because he's a freak like me, and he's so concerned about every single little tiny piece of gear and what it weighs and what's the newest thing and how can he get the weight out of his pack. And so she calls him Gearhead, and that's his name. I have no idea what his real name is. And then, of course, the, the, the star of the show is who they're hiking with, Best in Show. That's their dog's trail name. I don't know if his name was I don't know what his real name is, but on the trail, he's best in show. And so he's this little dog that has legs about this big. And so for every mile they hike, best in show hikes about three. Because he's running off over here, chasing a squirrel, and running over here, you know. And so, but he is the cutest little dog. And so you run across these people. In fact, there's more people. Um, I ran across uh, J-Rock and Fat Man Walking. Now, J-Rock <laughs> and Fat Man Walking, they're brother-in-laws. Now, J-Rock is a guy that's in a business, uh, and he's from, uh, he's from New Hampshire, and, and his brother-in-law uh, lives really close to him, Fat Man Walking. And I also hiked with one of J-Rock's employees, um, and as a, a, a young girl, young, uh, again, everybody's young in my world, but uh, she's young, so she's about 20-something, um, and uh, they're trying to catch up with her because she's, like, way faster than they are because Fat Man Walking is kind of like an anchor because Fat Man Walking, and I can say this at church because it's true, so Fat Man Walking got his name Fat Man Walking because he never stops uh, unless there is some place to get beer, the man was carrying in his backpack a six-pack of beer in bottles. And to a guy like me, well, first of all, I'm not a beer drinker, but if I were, why in the world would you carry something that heavy? That's crazy. And so anyway, so you meet these people, and, they're, and it's great. I love people because you have a relationship with people on the trail that usually lasts for about five minutes because you may never see them again. 
because maybe you're hiking faster, maybe they're hiking faster, but you meet them. Sometimes you might run across them at a trail town because you're picking up your resupply food boxes or whatever, but oftentimes you see these people maybe once, and then they're gone. And so then, of course, I ran across caveman, and caveman uh, was, a, was a hiker that got injured. See, Jody, you can relate to him. He's in a sling. He fell on the trail, and he tore up his rotator cuff, so he had to get off the trail. So now he's shuttling people from where the trail meets a road to go in so they don't have to hike six miles on a road to go in and get their resupply box. And caveman is spending the whole summer transporting just out of the goodness of his heart, hikers so they don't have to hike on a busy highway to get into this little town called Twin Lakes, and then he takes them back to the trailhead after they have their, after they have their box. The guy that, he, that caveman was st- standing next to, you can go back to that one if you want, the guy that's standing next to him, you might recognize, so my trail name is Iowa, and I got the Iowa trail name I-O-W-A, Iowa trail name, and I got it standing right here in the commons because uh, Jordan Stufflebeam, who's back there in the, in the bridge, he's, guess where he's from? He's from Iowa. So he and Pat Pagnasat are standing there, and we're talking about this trip that I'm planning, and he says, I said, everybody has a trail name, and, and Jordan Stufflebeam says, well, I know what your trail name is, and I said, well, how do you know? How would you know what my trail name is? That's out on the trail. You know nothing about this stuff. And he goes, no, your name is Iowa. And immediately I'm thinking, just like everybody on the trail that hears my trail name for the first time, Iowa, um, I'm thinking he says I'm Iowa because he's from Iowa. And he says, no, it's an acronym for Idiot Outdoors Wandering Around. (laughs) Now, I tried to shake that trail name on on the trail, but once you tell one person your, your name is Iowa, somehow or another it spreads on the trail. And everybody that you run across, because this old man with his long gray beard, they find out that somehow or another the word travels. And they say, Iowa. I never met these people. I don't know who they are. Iowa. That's how it happens on the trail. So it's fun. I love hiking. And this particular time, I sort of underestimated how hard the Colorado Trail was because the last time I did the Colorado Trail was 2009. I was younger. I'm a little bit older, and it's a little bit harder. And there's a section called the Collegiate West. There's two different ways to go around the Collegiate Range in the, in the Rocky Mountains. The last time I did it, we went around the east, and I remembered that as being beautiful and fairly easy. This time we're doing the west, and I had never done that before. And the first thing that happens in, on the Collegiate West side, I'm about 200 and some odd miles into this hike, is that you're going to go over these passes, and you read about the passes, and you see them on the, on the map, um, and, and yet you're not prepared for how hard it is. Because, hey man, I'm 65 years old. <laughs> Everything's getting harder. And the first day on the Collegiate West, there's a climb. There's about a 6,000-foot climb, and they give you about four miles to do it, and there's no switchbacks, which means that you're climbing like up the mountain. 6,000 feet of elevation gain is a lot, especially in four miles. And I'm a huffing, and I'm a puffing, and it's hard, and it's hard for everybody on this section of the trail. And by the way, it's raining. 
Because it rains every day in the Colorado Rockies. It might rain for 15 minutes. It might rain all day. And I got some of both of that. All day rains and, and a little bit of rain. In fact, I think I got a picture, don't I, of the, uh, a rain? Yeah, so this is what it looks like when you're on the trail in the rain. Because you can't stop. You can't stop and wait out the rain because if you stop and wait out the rain, you've got another couple of days that you're waiting out these big storms that are coming through, but you only have so much food, and you've got to get to the next food resupply place or you're going to go hungry, and that's not good. So I have a rain jacket. I don't carry pants with me when I'm on the trail. I only have shorts. Um, and I have them on my shorts because, you know, you only wear one thing all the time, which gets pretty smelly after a while. But anyway, uh, the rain gear that you put on, I have a rain jacket, and then I have a skirt because I love skirts. In fact, I wear a skirt more than my wife wears a skirt. Uh, it's a rain skirt that goes down to your knees, and I like it because it's not like rain pants, because you sweat in rain pants. I don't like to sweat when I'm on, you know, it's like, a, it's like a sweat box when you're wearing rain garb like that, because you are, after all, hiking, you know, through the mountains, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of an athletic, kind of a sweaty thing, right? And so the skirt helps you not to sweat, so that's why I've always appreciated the fact that ladies get to wear shorts, and it's not appropriate for us unless you're on the trails. I love my skirt. I like wearing my skirt. So every day I've been hiking on this Colorado trail trip, and I'm thinking about the beauty. I'm thinking about God's creation. I'm thinking about how big God is. I'm thinking about how small I am. I'm thinking about all of these things that are just it's the reason that I'm out there. I don't even care about the rain. I don't care how steep it is. I don't care about any of that thing. I'm thinking every day. I start with a devotional in the morning. I read scripture first thing in the morning before I even get out of my tent and pack up and get on the trail. And I'm going to hike 20, 25 miles during the day. I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be raining. And I don't even care. I even like the rain. Something happens when I'm out on the trail, even when it's cold and wet, and steep, and rocky, and difficult. For some reason, I like that. So I'm posting these videos to YouTube, and my wife, of course, is my biggest fan. It's nice to have a wife that's a fan. And my wife is following me because I have this device. It's called a Garmin inReach device. And every 10 minutes, it sends a ping uh, to a satellite that's flying overhead. And then she has a website, and she looks at it, and she's like crazy. She follows me and watches the pings because she wants to know, if, after 10 minutes, if there wasn't a ping, did something happen to him? She's all worried. But this is a great device. So it's not a, it's not a phone, but I can text from this device. It has an SOS button. If you ever get in trouble on the trail, all you got to do is flip open this lid, press the SOS button, and if you're capable, you can text the rescue people, and if you're not capable, they just come. No matter where you are in the world. It's almost like one of those buttons that old people like me have, like, like help, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> this is a mountain help, I've fallen and I can't get up device. And it's also a tracking device, so my wife loves this thing. And Pastor Tyler says you can't go without it, right, Tyler? So I have that. So I've been hiking along. It's wet every single day. I'm going to Monarch Pass because I need a resupply, and I've got to take a shower because I'll tell you what, when you're hiking every day 20, 25 miles a day, and you haven't had a shower for like 10 days, uh, 
the only people that you can really reasonably be around is other long-distance hikers because they smell just like you. <laughs> and it's not good. So I head to Monarch Pass, and I get, I get a shower, and I get real food, and I get a resupply box of, of dehydrated food, and I'm off. Because I'm heading to Durango in the beauty of the Colorado Rockies. Right outside of Monarch Pass, there's a highway, Highway 50, runs right through Monarch Pass. One of the employees from the lodge where I got my resupply package and my shower <laughs> and my restaurant meal, which is delightful, he takes me back up to the trailhead because walking on Highway 50 is a pretty dangerous event. Let me tell you, there's no shoulder, and you do not want to be walking on Highway 50 through the, through the Colorado Rockies because I've been hit by a car once. I don't want to do that again. So he takes me to the trailhead, and I hike, and it's, I get kind of a late start because I had a big breakfast, which is always nice when you're on the trail, somebody cooking you breakfast. Instead of my normal, which is two instant Starbucks coffees and Pop-Tarts. That's my everyday breakfast on the trail. But this time I had chicken fried steak. Who's going to leave early when somebody's going to make you chicken fried steak? So I get taken to the trailhead and I just hike. Everything's normal. My wife had mentioned to me, because every once in a while you have cell service when you're out there on the trail, my wife had mentioned to me, she says, why are you always huffing and puffing when you're talking? I said, well, honey, it's steep out here. The trail is steep. I'm climbing mountains every day. She's never been backpacking because her idea of a fine backpacking trip is like room service at a fancy hotel. That's about as close to the outdoors as my wife wants to get. I said, honey, of course... Of course I'm breathing hard. Wouldn't you breathe hard? I mean, you're walking up these mountains. It's steep. The days are long. It's hard. I love every minute of it. And I wasn't that concerned. So on the 16th of July, I'm hiking outside of Monarch Pass. I only go about 15 miles because I didn't get to the trailhead until about noon. And now it's late in the day. I've got to set up camp, which is what you do every day. So I find a flat spot. I didn't see any hikers that day. You see hikers almost every day on the trail. But this particular day, I didn't see anybody else. I only got about 15 miles from Highway 50. And I set up camp like I always do. I made myself a little something to eat. It's about 8 o'clock at night, which is bedtime for a hiker. We call it hiker midnight. Hiker midnight is as soon as the sun goes down, it's time for bed because you're tired. So I crawl in my tent, which is what I do. And I go to sleep. And then sometime during the night, I awaken. I don't know what time it is. But I feel incredibly claustrophobic. But I'm in a tent. It's a little one-man tent that only weighs 16 ounces, by the way. But I can't breathe. And I think it's just claustrophobia inside the tent, although this has never happened. I've slept in this tent countless nights on many, many hiking trips. So I unzip the, the zipper fly that is 
that is to keep the bugs out, the bug fly, and I crawl out of the tent because I'm, <gasps> I'm gasping for air, and I'm just thinking, I just need some fresh air. But I'm outside the tent, it's pitch black, I'm not actually able to breathe well, and I'm scared. This has never happened, I cannot breathe. At this point, I decide that I'm going to sit up. So if I get up, apparently, apparently that is allowing me to breathe better. And I'm taking these shallow little breaths and, then, and, and it seems to be okay for a while. So I sit up in my tent because that's the only way that I'm able to get any breath in. And this happens, this lasts for about three or four hours. I fall back to sleep. I don't know how that happened. I just know that I did because I woke up the next morning. And everything was fine. So me, I don't give it a second thought because I'm headed to Durango. Right? The scripture says, keep your eyes focused on what's ahead. Go. I'm going to Durango because when I get there, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to come back. Because you see, for me, a thousand miles is what I'm doing. And nobody is going to stop me. It ain't going to happen. So I don't even think about that little incident. So I have my Starbucks instant coffee and my two Pop-Tarts, and I'm ready to go. I pack up. I throw my backpack on, including making sure that this thing is on so my wife knows when I'm hiking again. And I start to hike. It's the morning of July 17th, however. And all is not well. You see, because I got up that morning thinking that everything was normal because I'm going to Durango. And I am going to enjoy the trip. <laughs> but the problem was I hiked about 100 yards that morning on flat surface and then the trail went up. And as soon as the trail went up and started a climb, that nighttime experience came back immediately. And I couldn't breathe. Literally. Instantaneously on the trail... At 12,500 feet, I am standing on the trail gasping and no breath will enter my lungs. And the first thing I think about is, God, help me. I'm crying out to God to help me. I can't breathe. I don't know if you've ever had this experience being underwater and having to try to gasp for air, but there's, it's just water. Immediately I understand that I am filled with water. I'm drowning. And all I can think about is don't pass out. Nothing good is going to happen if you pass out. But I went down anyway. I'm in the middle of the Colorado Rockies and I can't breathe. I'm gasping for air. <laughs> Nothing will come in. And all I can think of is, God, help me. God, help me. That's all I can think of. And then in my mind, 
not audibly. This is what I hear. Do you trust me? I know that is the Lord speaking to me. It's not audible. Why? Why is he saying, do you trust me? I'm laying on the side of the trail thinking that I have, there's no hope. I can't breathe. I am on the verge. I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I am scared, terrified, and desperate all at the same time. And then it goes from a question, and in my mind, in my heart, I hear him say, not do you trust me, trust me. The command comes, and he says, trust me, trust me. And I hear this as I'm gasping for air, and I just, all I can do is say, Lord, I trust you. I'm desperate at this point. I trust you. That's all I could think to say. And a little at a time, the air starts to come back into my lungs, and I'm taking very shallow breaths. <gasps> Just enough not to pass out. Never did it occur to me that this was on a carabiner on the front of my backpack as I'm laying on the trail, and all I had to do was have the wherewithal to grab it and open the door right here and press the SOS button for help. Never occurred to me. But I'm screaming at God at this point. But not audibly because I can't. Help me. Help me. And all I hear back from him is trust me. Trust me. So I do, I'm laying on the trail for, I don't know how long, I don't have a watch. Probably a couple of hours laying on the side of the trail trying to catch my breath. And the next thing you know, I stand up. Because I'm going to Durango. And even in that situation, nothing is going to stop me from going to Durango. Nothing. Trust me. Trust me, I hear this over and over and over again in my mind. So I think, well, at this point I have the ability to think about, what do I do now? The crazy thing is I'm 18 miles from Highway 50 from the day before, but I'm 55 miles from Creed, which is the next mountain town. And so I choose to start hiking towards the 55-mile direction and not the 18. That'll give you an idea of what my, where my head is at. I can take three or four steps. And at that point, I can no longer breathe, and I'm gasping again. And so I stop, and I lean over my poles to try to get my breath. And it takes two or three minutes to do that, and then I take four or five more steps. And then I take another two or three minutes to gather my, my breath. And I can take three or four steps. The whole time I'm hearing God say, trust me. An hour or so of this goes by. And it actually starts to get a little bit better. And I kid you not, the first thing I say, God, is that you? Like, hello? An hour or so later, I'm able to go 50 feet, then 100 feet. 
And then it comes on again. After two, three, four hours of this going on, I'm standing on the side of the trail gasping for air, just about to pass out again. And this time, audibly, I say, God, help me. And then, something that I have never experienced in 25 years of walking with the Lord happens. I think somebody is behind me because the next word I hear is not here. It doesn't come here or here. Audibly, I hear the word, breathe. And I'm so startled as I'm gasping for air. The first thing I could do was I looked around to see if somebody was behind me. And there's nobody there. I don't know if I trust God enough to actually take a deep breath at this particular point. Although I've just been telling him for four hours, I trust you. As I've heard 50 times if I've heard it once, trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm a stubborn man. The only thing I can think of at this particular point is, well, take a deep breath. And if it's your last one, I guess like we heard last week, (laughs) to die is gain, right? So I said, here goes. And I breathed in. And it was the most unbelievable breath experience I ever had in my life. My lungs completely filled with air, and I knew at that very second. It was the Lord our God who healed me at that very moment. I could breathe. So I did it again. I breathed the second time, and a third, and a fourth, and it just filled my lungs. My mind became clear, and I said, Hallelujah, I've been healed, and I started hiking to Durango. And I felt great. I was, I don't know. I've been around people that I've seen God heal, but I've never experienced this before. And to actually hear the voice of the Lord, there's no question in my mind. That it was him who told me to just breathe because I think I was holding it in, actually. There's something about obedience. In the simplest of things, breathing, for gosh sakes. So I did. I'm having this supernatural experience with the Lord, and this is what happens. Now all I can think about is breathe. I was telling Susan Rowland this. We used to play years ago a song on the worship team, and the name of it is Breathe, right? Well, I hadn't thought about that song in years. All of a sudden, the words from that song just flood into my mind, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs because I can. And then hymns. I didn't grow up in the church. I'm not a hymn kind of a guy. All of a sudden, hymns start coming to my mind, and I'm just singing. I'm thinking, if anybody sees me walking down the trail doing this, they're going to think I've lost my mind. The truth is, I found it. 
I mean, I am stoked. I'm by myself. There's nobody around. I haven't seen anybody for almost uh, for a day and a half now. And all I can think of, I got to tell somebody about this. I'm skipping down the trail after not being able to go uh, like, like just a few hundred yards over four hours. Like I'm screaming down the trail like skipping. I'm back to having the time of my life. And all I'm saying is, I kid you not, every 30 seconds, I'm going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I know where this comes from. I am stoked like I've never been before. So I get phone service on the trail that next day. I hiked 19 miles that day, by the way. <laughs> About two and a half miles an hour. <laughs> I get to the top of this, this mountain, and I actually have cell service, so I call my wife. And I tell her, honey, you're not going to believe what happened. And she's like dead silent on the other end of the phone. I don't know why. Listen, I'm just telling her what happened. I am like stoked, like you can't believe, like never have I been in my entire life. I am like, I am so excited. I'm elated with what's going on. I just want to share with her what God did. And she goes, oh, okay. And at that point, the conspiracy started because that night, after I called her, Tyler shows up at my house to pick up my car. And my wife tells Pastor Tyler what I told her about this supernatural experience that I had where I almost passed out on the trail because I wasn't able to breathe. God told me to trust him. I did. I breathed. He healed me immediately, instantly, once I once I did really trust him, and then I just am skipping down the trail, and Pastor Tyler goes, ruh we better call Mark. So now the conspiracy starts, so Mark Bodycomb, Pastor Tyler, and my wife are in this conspiracy, and the next thing you know, I get a text on this thing from my wife that says, when you get to Creed in 55 miles, I have made a doctor's appointment for you. You are not hiking one more mile on this trail until you get a medical checkup. And I texted her back and I said, I feel great. And she texts back, I don't care. <laughs> so the next day I hike 25 miles and the next day I hike about 12 miles. And the thing is, is that here's the, here's the crazy thing. You see, I love my wife and there's no way that I'm going to not go to a medical appointment that she set up for me in Creed, Colorado, which is 12 miles off the trail, which is where my resupply box is for more food. I am like ready to go. Durango or bust. I'm like good to go. I feel great. But I'm going to go get checked up on because my wife said so. So men, take a lesson from that. So she says, when you get to a place, call this number. Well, I can't call. I don't have any service, but I got this thing. I can text from it, and I don't know anything about anything. So I called the number, or I text the number, and I said, my wife said to text this number. I don't even know who I'm texting. And she says, yep, we know where you are. Phil is going to come pick you up at the trailhead. Don't move. And I said, great. I don't know who Phil is. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know anything. All of a sudden, Phil, 82 years old, the retired sheriff in the county where Creed, Colorado, Creed, Colorado is the county seat, and there's 300 people that live there. This is a very small place. And Phil shows up, and he says, hi, Bill. How did he know my name? Well, somebody must have talked to Phil. He's the greatest guy. So Phil takes me into town, and I say, I got to go to the post office because I got to get my resupply box. 
because I feel great. So he takes me to the post office. And then he says, now I'm going to take you to where you're going to stay tonight. Because, you know, after all, I need a shower and I got a, you know, I got a, I got an appointment at the medical clinic in Creed the next morning at 11 o'clock before I can get back on the trail because I got to satisfy my wife because if I don't, I'm not getting any more food. This is important. So to be a compliant husband, he takes me out to this place. I spend the night and Phil says, I'll come pick you up in the morning because you have an 11 o'clock appointment. How do you know I have an 11 o'clock appointment? So he comes and he picks me up the next morning after I spend the night and I'm ready to go. I'm all packed up. And he says, after your medical appointment, you can go back to the trail. It's a 12-mile drive on a windy mountain road to get to the trailhead. And I said, great, I'll go to the medical appointment at 11 and we make arrangements for him to pick me up at 1.30 and he's either going to pick me up at the clinic or at the cafe that's kind of across the street and he's going to take me to the trailhead. So I get to the clinic to be a compliant husband and uh, I meet the doctor there. And the doctor says, why are you here? And I said, because I love my wife. And she says, no, really, why are you here? So I told her the story about what happened. And it just so happens that this doctor happens to be an expert in altitude sickness. But I don't know that. And she's, uh-huh, uh-huh. And she's young, by the way. And she also happens to be an endurance athlete. She runs 100-mile mountain races in the Rockies. She knows a lot about altitude, about athleticism, about injuries, and about altitude sickness. And so they begin the process of all the stuff that they do to you when you go to the doctor, right? Old people, you know that. They poke you, they prod you, they test, you know, all the stuff that they do, <clears throat> and then uh, including x-rays. And by the way, I feel great. My backpack is like, it's not like I got a car. I got my backpack and my stuff that I'm carrying, right? I'm ready to go. I'm dressed and ready to hit the trail because Phil is coming at 1.30. It's now noon, and I said, can we like hurry up? Because I got to go back to the trail. And she says, I hate it when they say this. Mr. Burr, don't call me Mr. Burr, my name's Iowa. <clears throat> she says, Mr. Burr, you're sick. I said, what? I feel fine. I feel great. And she said, well, I want to show you something. She sits down next to me on the chair, and she opens up her laptop, and she says, look at this x-ray of your lungs. What do I know about x-rays of lungs? I have no idea what I'm looking at. And I said, great. Can we hurry up? I got to get back to the trail. And she says, no, you don't get it. And so she pulls up on her laptop and she puts it right next to the x-rays of my lungs. And she says, look at these. What's the difference? And I said, well, one's black and one's white. And she says, that's right. The black ones are clear. Yours are white. Your lungs are full of fluid. You are sick. We have a decision to make. And I said, I feel fine. Phil's going to pick me up at 1.30. I got to get to the trailhead. She said, we have a decision to make. And she pulled up one more set of pictures of lungs. 
She said, the last man I treated that had the condition that you have and are in right at this moment was 28 years old. And we flew him 150 miles helicopter ride to get to a hyperbaric chamber, but he didn't make it. He died en route. She said, I don't care how good you feel. She said, that's symptomatic of high-altitude pulmonary edema, which you have, and you are in big trouble. And you are either going to take a helicopter ride right now, or we are going to pump you full of steroids and medications, and you are going to get off of this mountain as quickly as you possibly can, or there is going to be a very bad outcome. I'm shocked. I feel fine. I feel fine. I don't want a helicopter ride. I want to get back on the trail. But I got to tell you, this hits me like hard. I feel fine. God healed me. I tried to tell her that God healed me on that mountain. I feel fine. She didn't want to hear it. She said, I'm a doctor that specializes in high-altitude sickness. And if you go back on that trail, we're not going to rescue you. We are going to recover you. And at this point, this is an emotional thing for a guy that's headed to Durango. I'm going to turn around and come back to Denver. Because I got a thousand miles to do. And that's all I can think of. All of a sudden, God isn't in the equation. The doctor's not in the equation. Nobody's in the equation. You see, all of a sudden, it was all about me again. And she said, if you go back on that trail, you're not coming off of it. I'm devastated. And like I've done a thousand times before, and God forgive me, I walk outside of that clinic and sit down on a chair, and I'd start to immediately, I'm, I'm, I'm depressed, and I'm having a pity party because I can't continue because I feel fine. Phil is picking me up. It's now 1 o'clock. In 30 minutes, Phil's going to pick me up. And I'm seriously contemplating going back to the trailhead to continue because I feel fine. So I'm pumped full of steroids. And I have taken God and I have set him completely aside. Do you trust me? It was just two days before. That he's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I said, yes. Now all of a sudden I don't. The next thing you know, I'm sitting at the, the little cafe having my pity party because I've decided actually now that it probably doesn't make sense to continue. And a man that I met on the trail three days before, his name is Bones, and I had a, I had, that's his trail name, I had a, a two-minute relationship with him. Hi, I'm Iowa. I'm Bones. Where are you headed? I'm going, to Dur- I'm going to Durango. Me too. See ya. The next thing you know, I'm sitting on this table, this bench outside this cafe waiting for Phil, who's going to take me back to the trailhead. And Bones, who I recognize, I'd only met for like two minutes on the trail several days ago, is running at me. I had just walked out of the clinic and sat down at this table. And Bones says, Iowa, I heard what happened. I'm a doctor. Can I help you? 
How did you hear what happened? How did you hear, Bones? He said, it's not important. I'm a doctor. Can I help you? I have this conversation with Bones sitting at this table, and I, I kid you not. The next thing I know is that this conversation turns deep as he is so concerned about me, and I find, I find out that he's hiking the Colorado Trail because he has bone marrow cancer, and they've given him only another year or two to live, and he wants to do a long-distance hike before he dies. Bones, two grown men, a doctor, Bones, and me sitting on this table in front of this cafe, and we're weeping. And he allows me to pray over him. All of a sudden, God is saying, hello, remember who you are. And Bones, not a believer, says, yeah, you can pray for me. And I pray for him. And then I go to pay for my my lunch that I had while I was waiting for Phil to show up, and they won't take my money because the waitress, who happens to own the joint, says, I heard you two men talking. And she says, there's no way you're buying lunch. And then Phil shows up to take me to the trailhead. And he says, he called me Santa Claus. He says, Santa Claus, I heard what happened. How did you hear what happened? That's not important. He says, I'm going to take you back so that you can get some rest so that you can get out of here. How do you know I have to get out of here? He said, it's not important. And he takes me back to the lodge where I had spent the night before. And when I got there, the people that owned the lodge said, I heard what happened. And there was two pieces of pie and two, and two, two coffees sitting on the table when we got there. You need to, you need to eat this and just relax. And we're going to take care of you. And we're going to get you to Denver. Because we know that that's where your truck is. How do you know that that's where my truck is? <laughs> and I have 50 more stories just like that about things that happened over this two and a half day period after I got off of that mountain and I went to that clinic. And one thing after another, after another, after another, that is not coincidence. So I took the medication instead of the helicopter ride. And I'm in no condition to drive. But in my mind, now I'm thinking that I'm going to get to Denver so that I can drive my truck home. And then the phone rings. And it's him. And Pastor Randy says, how you doing? I'm fine. Because I'm used to the church answer. We do it all the time around here, don't we? Oh, I'm fine. Your life is upside down and it's a complete disaster. I'm fine. Yeah, me too. I'm fine. And he says, sit down and shut up. Randy said that. This is right after a beautiful, heartfelt text that I got from Pastor Tyler that was gracious and loving. <laughs> and he says, sit down, shut up. This is what's going to happen. 
Church, I got to tell you, this is what love looks like. You see, because you see that guy right there. He says, sit down and shut up, Bill. This is what's going to happen. He says, I heard what happened. (laughs) And he says, Pastor Richie is taking me to the airport right now. I'm going to get on an airplane. I'm flying to Denver. I need to know where your truck is and where the heck are you? Because I'm coming to pick you up. You're in no condition to drive home. How do you know? In fact, I think the last picture, are you still back there, Eileen? The last picture, there's Randy. I got to tell you, I have never been so excited to see a face like that in my entire life. As Pastor Randy shows up in Creed, Colorado, because he's now on a rescue mission. Do you trust me? Trust me. Trust me. Church, I got to tell you, I learned a lot about trusting God in that trip. A lot about trusting God. Through a medical condition that they tell me allows me never to go back on a high altitude backpacking trip again. So that's been taken from me now. Because the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Praise be to the Lord. Amen? Amen. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. And we say around here all the time, church, God is good. And all the time, no matter the circumstances, no matter how desperate you are, no matter whether you understand or I understand that we are absolutely desperate for him and dependent on him. Amen? You see, this trip to the Colorado Rockies that I thought was going to be a thousand mile hike because I've never been able to accomplish a thousand miles yet. I've come close a couple times, but I really wanted to do that. It started with an opportunity to share Jesus with Tanner and it ended with an opportunity for Jesus to share himself with me in a very personal way. Audibly, And absolutely his presence being felt to get me 55 miles off of that mountain. Otherwise, the result could have been very bad. So I came up 600 miles short of completing my goal of a thousand mile hike. And yet as far as I'm concerned... This summer's hiking trip has been far and away my most successful hiking trip ever. And I wouldn't trade what God did for anything in the world. Anything. 
anything. That's the testimony. Because God is good. And all the time. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Child, you can come up. Father, we sit here today. We sit in your presence. Because God, you've told us that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You are absolutely for us. You've promised that you have given us already everything we need for life and for godliness. God, you tell us over and over and over again to trust you. And God, this is my prayer for me personally right now, God. I need help with that. I need help, God, trusting you. And not leaning on my own understanding. So that's my prayer for everybody here today as well. God, will you help us by showing us your presence, by reminding us of your goodness to us, not so that we just say it, God, not at all, but Lord, will you help us to believe it more and then to be open to experiencing your goodness to us because it's so real. We need help with that, Lord. So forgive us for not trusting you like we should. And even now, God, as we prepare to take communion together as a family of believers, we even need help right now, God. As we begin to pick up the cups that are in front of us, God, we need help as you have told us that as often as we do this to be remembering you. We need to do that. And we need to do it in a profound way, I think, this morning. And we can only do it in and through the power of your Spirit, God, because as it's left up to ourselves, we tend to fail. And yet we are victorious in you. So help us to live in and believe every single one of your promises, Lord. Because you are so good. So we thank you for your goodness. So as Shiloh plays, feel free to take the communion cups. And I encourage you this morning to just have a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus as you take those elements, the bread, the juice. Make it personal, make it real. Remember Jesus, his goodness, your salvation, his promises. Your eternity with him. Oh, there's so much goodness in God, isn't there? Do that this morning as you take communion. Amen? Amen. Good morning, everyone. We've got just a few announcements for us this morning. The first one is we have, uh, is about our fall holiday calendar. So we just started putting these out last week. Little sheets of just what's going on event-wise for the rest of the year. I believe they're back on the cart. They may be even be on the table up here uh, in the front little area. 
Uh, so pick those up uh, just to see what's going on the rest of the year. And then we have, um, I think our announcement's on giving. Something that we like to remind you guys of uh, frequently, you know, we have so many ways to give. Uh, you do online. We have, you know, the little boxes in the back. Uh, and again, just a reminder, uh, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, we, we say this a lot. Um, you know, it's very important. You know, it's something that we, we get to do, not just, um, you know, practically, you know, but it's very important uh, to be a part of what, you know, God is doing here at 1290 Grand and the things he's doing in Ojai and even outside the country with some of our ministries. So we just encourage you guys uh, with that. And then our last announcement is we are now having uh, monthly bulletins, and these are going to be printed uh, and distributed weekly. And they're going to be back on the table in the back where the kind of the sermon notes were, which we don't have any today. You can thank Bill for that. So this will just have updates. It's very similar to the one on the website, if you've seen that. Um, so very similar. If you guys want it, it's back there, and uh, it'll be updated monthly.